imagine you know a, a, um, a soda pop bottle you know for six months you're just shaking it right you're shaking it you're shaking it you're shaking it and then at, at the end of six months you know you pop the top and then explode it everywhere that's what happened to me you know um <clears throat> I I was looking for a reason to shoot somebody. I couldn't believe that the warm and welcoming guy sitting in front of me had done something like this, that he had shot and killed an innocent man and served 21 years for it. His name is Choi and he's a 40-something-year-old Laotian-American man. Right now we're in downtown Oakland, California at the offices of the Asian Prisoner Support Committee, or APSC. We're talking about what it meant for him to grow up in Stockton, California as a child refugee from Laos. How he went from being a four-year-old refugee to eight-year-old drug dealer's lookout, and then to 15-year-old felon. How losing contact with his identity played a role in all of the above. Like, if you don't know your history, like, how do you know who you are, right? And then, you know, so there's... Is no history, no self, N O, and there's no history, no self, K N O W, right? And so it's like if you know who you are, then you know your identity is already solidified. You already grounded. You have that foundation. I didn't have that ground, you know that that grounded foundation when growing up. So, you know, I, I was I was seeking my own identity. I was seeking who I was. Where do I fit in? Where Where is my niche? No history, no self. No history, no self. Hearing those words makes me wonder, do I know my history? Do I know myself? Sure, I know that my parents came to America as Hmong child refugees of the Vietnam War, but I don't actually know what it was like for them or others like them to grow up in America. And if I don't know this, how am I supposed to have a strong foundation? But I do know that if I want to follow in the footsteps of my parents by serving others to the best of my ability, then my identity is going to need to be rooted in a sturdy foundation. I need to talk to more people who share a similar story to my family. People adjusting, adapting, and growing right now. Maybe they can help me see reflections of myself, my parents, and maybe even shine light upon a burning question I have. It's a question that I've been pondering since graduating high school, but now that I'll be graduating from university soon, it's been weighing on my mind a bit more. The question is one which is inevitably tied to my own family background of being a Hmong American son, brother, and young man. Given that my parents, despite having been refugees to this country, have been able to build illustrious careers serving others, and since I've actually been born in this country, which has awashed me in a river of dreams, what should my own dream be? First, I met Nisha. Nisha is 20 years old, only one year younger than me, and studies computer science at SF State. She was born and raised in Nepal, but came to America at 14 years old. My dad had to flee from Bhutan uh, because of the conflicts that they um, had to face, and I mean, the only place was Nepal, since they speak Nepalese and all that. Then I asked about her daily life here in America. 
I wake up um, around now summer around 6 a.m. and I have a internship basically um, which is at the Peralta house at Peralta Hacienda Park um, there I do a counselor job for kids summer um, camp kids and now that she's been here for a few years there are some sounds she associates with living in America you know people minding their own business basically um, sort of they're into their own thing they're doing something it does kind of seem like many Americans are always trying to get somewhere or do something It's sort of like the current of a rushing river The other young person I talked to, Paul, is a bit younger, still in high school. She came to America as a young child. Right now, my favorite subject may be math, but yeah. Um, I also like art and I'm doing a lot of sports. Um, last year I did lacrosse and um I'm also involved in like other programs like Lao Family. in college track and new route um i'm identified as asian but then my ethnicity is karen much like the mong the karen are a group of people with no formally recognized country to call home we are from burma or thailand like on the border i was curious since moving away from thailand did she still feel connected to her culture yeah i still do Cause um we have a church and it's all Korean people, and during summer school we will learn about like our history and our languages, and also um I feel connected to the people back home too. And then I asked about some of the major cultural differences between here and Thailand. I think in Thailand, like more kids li- growing up listening to their parents, like they do what their parents want them to do, and here just. Mostly they do whatever. At this point, I have three individuals representing three different cultures and three distinct phases of life, with one shared experience of being a Southeast Asian child refugee. I brought each of them together with the hope that their unique and shared experiences as refugee children. would be able to illuminate a question which I've been carrying with me lately. The question of what to be. Professionally, spiritually, and more. who am i that you know that was like my whole mantra i guess the question i was asking myself throughout my adolescent years i was just focused on me and and you know, just trying to be accepted so i just tried to focus on me and trying to find my own identity right you know not even thinking about you know what my parents have gone through to get me to this country with a laugh smile and confidence that joy exudes you think he always had it all figured out But I guess it wasn't that way. In fact, there were times when he wasn't even sure who he was. And it was this lack of identity that allowed him to be pulled into the world of gangs. 
And so we did face a lot of discrimination. You know, and here it is, you know, a group of a group of uh, of, of Laos, Laotian kids as and, and Hmong kids, you know, we we banded together against these, you know, this this, this prejudice and the and uh, discrimination. And so that was our support system. On the other hand, Nisha's central question throughout her teenage years was not that she didn't know who she was, it was that she didn't know what she could be. Yeah, I really didn't have a dream back then. And I think it's because we were so limited in resources and all that, um, I couldn't see where I'm going. Yeah. But me, I was born in America. I didn't have to run from warfare, live on dirt floors, farm for my food, move to a country where I didn't know the language. My parents are the ones who did all of this. Sometimes it feels like being in this country has suddenly engulfed me in a rushing river of opportunities that were not available to my family before. But it's a river that doesn't always flow in one direction. I mean, you still gotta work hard, and I know not everyone in America is born rich by any means, but come on. Just being a U.S. citizen provides so many privileges that people in developing countries can only ever dream of. Here, I'll just let Paul tell you a bit about what it was like for her in Thailand. If we don't have school, we would just, like, go to the forest and, like, pick food. Yeah, and um, there's not a lot over there. Like, our houses are made out of bamboo, and, like, our roofs are leaves, and then also, like, um, trees. And um, we don't have stores either or any transportation, so we just do everything, like, way back then. Back then, the education wasn't good. Like, you also have to pay a lot. It's really expensive. So when I move here, it's kind of like I get to go to school for free, and um, making a living is not easy. But, like, it's way better than what we have compared to back then. Like Paul says, it hasn't been easy. But Nisha is someone who has been able to take advantage of the free education in America to cover a dream for herself. Yeah, I kind of have a better picture now since um, I've been going to college and learning a lot of things. And there are a lot of opportunities and resources here. So I think, yeah, I have a better picture now. It's wicked. And while Choi may have taken a bit longer than Nisha, he eventually found his dream too. Or rather, climbed out of his nightmare. You know, I was 30 years old. Um, it was my 30. It was actually my 30th birthday. I was in uh, the hole, or you know, some some may know the hole as solitary confinement. I was so selfish, and I was like a real, real jack as a kid. You know, um, I wanted to feel you know loved and validated by my parents. Her crossing that Mekong River on a bicycle and two two months pregnant, that was like the you know the, the validation of love. That was enough right there for me. It just took like 30 some odd years, you know, for us to get to that point.
Choi seems to have found a way out of his nightmare by reconnecting with his mother and his identity. Nisha seems to have found her dream by embracing her newfound potential. Although I empathize with both of them, I don't think I've been in either of their shoes. Unlike Nisha, I've always felt allowed to dream, and unlike Choi, I've never felt like I was living a nightmare. So why is it then that I still don't know what my dream should be? It's kind of like I'm pushing against the current, a river of my own dreams. But that's not even something I want to admit. That's like complaining you have too much food to eat. I mean, that's not a thing, right? I just feel ungrateful when I say that. One thing's for sure. I've always felt that I owed somebody a lot. Like I was indebted from birth in a way. It's kind of like, wow, I'm only one generation away from having been born in a rural village with no electricity, spending my days farming persimmons in the mountains. <laughs> that was a close one. Well, maybe that's not just a bad life, but if I knew what else there was out there, I'd be pretty salty. I'd probably be asking myself, why am I here and not learning about the world out there? And I didn't even do anything to earn this privilege that I currently have. It was all my parents doing. Pa seems to hold on to a similar feeling, except it's about her mother. I think I don't want her to think that I'm not trying, because yeah, I am trying. I think what I've been feeling is something similar, but instead of the concern being that my parents might think I'm not trying, it's as if, and I know it sounds weird, but it's as if I don't want Chance itself to think that I'm not trying. For some reason, I was this close to having little to nothing, and now I have everything. And I don't want the universe to think that I'm not trying to do something with that. It's really soft, but also like really stiff because it's made with cotton. And you kind of like have to press the yarn together to make it. And we also have a lot of string on the side or in the middle, or like on the bottom to add some design. This is Pa describing the traditional clothing of her Korean culture. And colors... They come in many ways, many colors, but the most popular for girls is like white and for guys is red. And then on the shirt, we also um, have different patterns. She paused for a second here. I waited in anticipation, waiting for her to top off this detailed description by describing what the clothing means in her culture, or at least what it means for her. Yeah, and I don't know what they represent. I don't know if they have any meaning. That wasn't what I was expecting. Usually when people describe something so in-depth, they have some sort of profound way of verbalizing why exactly they appreciate that thing so much. But Paul, it's like she gently holds her appreciation with no expectations. What was it like she's holding a handful of sand? Not squeezing too tightly that it slips through her fingers, but applying just enough pressure to ensure that it stays with her. Seeing the way she gently but firmly grasps her culture it makes me wonder if that's what I need to do too. Maybe I can swim with the current of the river of dreams I was struggling to navigate all along. How does she do it though? Navigate what she feels she must do and what she wants to do. Like, sometimes I just kind of do what I like to do. And you know what? Maybe that's all we really can do.
Maybe the pressure I've been feeling from the universe to squeeze every ounce of potential out of my situation is beside the point. It sounds like a simple answer to my earlier question, but sometimes truth is simple. My family came to America with nothing except for each other. Now we're fortunate to have more than we need. So I should find a way to pass that on to others. Both of my parents have built careers around the service of others, so it's almost like helping people is the family business. It's just something I gotta do. I think Nisha seems to relate. You know, if I graduate and then I have the degree, I think I would definitely would want to do something for um, people like refugees, just um, to help them out uh, to see the world in better picture so they can have dream in their mind. Maybe the point of being in a country like America is that there isn't a single path that I must take. Just like Choi's mother, my parents and grandparents crossed the infamous Mekong River, where many died. Not so that I could find myself still swimming against the current of a river of dreams decades later, but so that I could find myself along the sandy river banks. where I now have the power to grasp many possible pathways, many avenues of impact, many handfuls of sand. I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where I can gently hold on to one handful of sand, lightly carry it, shape it, and possibly even release it back to the earth when I've decided that it no longer suits me. That is, until I find the handful that does. But in the meantime, there's no use in squeezing too tightly.